All right, I have been uh, studying with you uh, the lessons regarding the third day, uh, and you know that the third day all comes out of the fact that Jesus defeated death and was raised from death on the third day. And we know that after he was resurrected, Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with two disciples who did not know that Jesus had resurrected yet, even though it was the third day. And they were brokenhearted. And on the road to Emmaus, which was about a five-hour walk, Jesus opens the scriptures to them and begins through all of the prophets and the Psalms and explains everything that indicated that Jesus Christ would come to this world, would be persecuted, would be suffering, and would rise on the third day. So I have been endeavoring to open the scriptures to you to show you all the passages in the Old Testament that indicated the third day, that God would do something incredible on the third day, that God would come, uh, not only defeat death, but God would come um, and walk with man on the third day. And I believe that this is an important teaching for you to have, especially so when you go out and speak to a world. Because the world, the lost world says this, come on, how do you believe a Bible? It's, it's a bunch of fairy tales and fables written by all different guys. And how do you believe that that's the word of God? Well, here is one of the proof tests that it's the word of God. That thousands of years before Christ would be born and would be resurrected from the dead, God was indicating uh, through foretelling and prophecy that the third day would be a critical event in the life of this world. I've done that for the last couple of weeks. I'm going to continue it for a couple more. There are about 40 sections in, this, in the Old Testament that do this. I'm not going to do all 40, but I'm going to emphasize some of the more prominent ones. And today we're going to study two sections that relate directly to Moses, because Moses had a prophecy given to him that the third day would be critical. And so we're going to study today uh, the bitter waters at Marah. And let me set this up for you. Uh, the Jewish people would be uh, brought out of Egypt. They would be brought through the desert. They would be brought to the Red Sea. And now Pharaoh's army is after them. And now they don't know where they are. They're stuck right at the Red Sea. And God tells Moses to raise his staff. And the Red Sea parts. And the Jewish people go through the Red Sea. And then God tells Moses to bring his staff and point it back at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea closes. And all of Pharaoh's army, including Pharaoh, are wiped out. Uh, and destroyed there as God protects them. One of the great miracles in the history of the world. So you can imagine, if you're a Jewish person and you see this being performed and you're on this high of highs, whoa, wow, this is unbelievable, this is great, uh, we're, we're, we're going on to greater and greater things. Well, that's not how things work in the plan of God. And so God then took them for the next three days through a desert and there was no water. Now imagine traveling three days without water. And so here they are now, uh, conjuring up this aspect of where they are and looking at it and beginning now, as usual, as they will for their entire lives, blaming Moses. Amen. Moses, you loser. 
we were better off in Egypt in the brick, the brick pits. It's always sad when you see that. But you're going to see what God does here uh, at this uh, lake of bitter waters, and it has deep spiritual meaning to us. Turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, underline that, they traveled in the desert without finding water. And that's prophetic, because it means that the three days are as if they are in death. There is no water. There is no life. Uh, and, and three days of darkness. Just as, if, just as Jesus would be in the earth for three days before he'd be resurrected. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Underline that, please. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So what an incredible passage this is. Um, and what you see here is, again, typology. God is typologically demonstrating to the Jewish people, be prepared. On the third day, something is going to happen that will change the world forever. On the third day, just as here, on the third day, the waters that could not be consumed, that were bitter, that were filled with pain and suffering, and they were dying, and they effectively had been dead. Uh, as, as the world would have known it. But they come to this spring, and this spring is bitter, and God says, take this wood, take this tree, and put the tree into the waters, and it will become palatable. Now let me ask you a question. You people are intelligent. Did God have to take a piece of wood to put it into the, the water? Of course not. Think about it. Why would he take a piece of wood? Why would he take a tree and put a tree into the water? Was it the magic tree? Was it some chemical composition in the tree? Of course not. But God was typologically preparing these people that someday something would happen on a tree, on a cross, on the third day, that would change the world forever. You like that, Bill? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The point of that being this. God doesn't throw away lines. You understand something? God doesn't do something for the, for the mere exercise of doing it. I submit to you that all of this is in the plan of God. In the third day. And here's the important point of understanding the third day. And I'm going to show it to you again and again and again. And you don't hear this preached that often in church. 
Uh, and the reason you don't hear this preached that often in churches, this is a hard thing to tie together with a lot of different sections. It comes together because you have to study it and see it from many different sections of Scripture. But you're going to see over and over and over again the third day is mentioned. And so here the waters are made pure by wood being put into the uh, water, the waters of the bitter waters on the third day. And what does it indicate? It indicates to us that God is saying to the Jewish people that God, through, through the cross of Jesus Christ, on the third day, is going to take all the bitterness that you have in this world, all the pain, all the suffering, all the calamities, all the things that separate you and, and separate you from God, and something will happen when God meets your need on the third day. And so God is giving them a test giving them a test and showing them what it means uh, when, when they do that. Uh, and so this is a very important lesson. Uh, and I'm going to tell you that none of this happens by accident. When we read scripture, don't say, well, it was just a... Coincidence. Yeah, it was just a coincidence. Thank you, I most momentarily lost the word. It, it was merely a coincidence. I know we went through Abraham and Isaac. That was a coincidence. Uh, and, and, we, and we've gone through all these. And that's a coincidence. And now here it is. The third, it's a coincidence, really, folks. There are no coincidences with God. Amen. It's just that we haven't thought about it. We haven't prayed about it. We haven't asked God to give us the wisdom of, uh, to show us the scripture. This is why. What do you think Jesus was saying to them on the road to Emmaus? What do you think he was doing? Just making them feel good? He was opening the scriptures. And what I'm trying to do in my own uh, poor way, as contrasted to the way that Jesus would have done it, is open up the scriptures to give you a slight glimpse as to what Jesus would have said to them. About all the things, all the things in the scripture that indicated something incredible would take place. Uh, and the power of the, of the word. Uh, and so God would later show, God would later show, and he was preparing them, that through the, Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus, mankind would have water that would last forever. You understand it? Water that would satisfy your thirst forever. You wouldn't have to worry about finding a pond and having a, a pond with bitter waters, but God would give you everlasting waters. And that's part of this lesson. Look at John chapter 4. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, scripture the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, and so there's the woman is looking to, to speak with Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to her about drawing water. Uh, and and verse 11, we'll start with. Sir, the woman said, speaking to Jesus, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Can I get an amen? amen. That's the water. Amen. That's the result of the third day. 
That's a result of what happens when Jesus Christ defeated death. And now he has the water, the pure water, that will live forever, that we take it and are a part of what he does. And so this is an example, a powerful example right here in Moses of what God intends to do on the third day. Telling the Jewish people, be ready, be prepared, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen on the third day. Uh, and so we see this, and it's, it's, it's very insightful. Now, there will be another example where uh, Moses, again, will come into position involving the third day. Uh, and this involves, uh, again, now a couple months later, a couple months later, they're traversing the desert, and now God has determined that he will speak to the Jewish people. He will speak to them directly. And he will begin to try to develop a relationship with the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. And so, uh, when you look at this passage, turn to Exodus chapter 19. To start with verse 1 as we weave our way through this. Uh, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, and they set out from, to, from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, please underline that, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, this is important because what you see here is God's plan for Israel. A nation of priests, a nation of evangelists, a nation of messengers to a lost world. That's the plan. It's going to blow up. Amen. But that was the plan. You understand? That was the plan. That's, that, that's the sad failure, really, of Israel. Uh, and, and when it comes to a point with Jesus, and you see it. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Yes. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Consecrate them. You want to meet God? Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself. Because God is a holy, a holy entity. You cannot come to God unless you are consecrated. Unless you are brokenhearted. Unless you repent. And that's what you see here in these words. Consecrate yourself. Today. The same as sanctify. Yes. Yes. Same word. Today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the 
third day. Accident? Happenstance? Surprise occurrence? I think not. Okay? I think not. In other words, the God of the universe is about to come and speak to them directly. Humanity will hear his voice as a people for the first time. Consecrate yourself. Wash your clothes, meaning the outside. I want to see the outside part of you being clean, representing the inwardness of you also being clean. And on the third day, God will speak to you. God will come to man. God will face man in a way that God has never done before on the third day. And then God goes on further. And be ready for the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you know that this is where God is going to give Moses the Ten Commandments. And so God is going to lay out what his covenants are, what the responsibility of the people is to God, what it means to be consecrated, what it means to be brokenhearted and come before God. It's going to be laid out, and he's going to say it directly to the people. They will hear it being said. On the third day. But then God says, put limits, verse 12, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. How do you like that? You're going to be put to death if you touch the holy mountain while God is on the holy mountain. You're going to die. Stay away from it. That's sovereign God. He's not your pal. He's not your pal. He's God. And so many of us, so many Christian people have this convoluted notion of God uh, as your, your pal, your buddy. He's God. He loves you in a way that you can't conjure up the, the notion of the word God. But he's holy. He sets limits around him. And so when you come to see God, you have to be in a repentful manner, in a sanctified manner, Washing yourself, and you know, honestly, the only way we wash ourselves is with Jesus Christ. You can't wash yourself any other way. You can't sit there and do it yourself and take, uh, you know, sacrifices and animal sacrifices. That's not going to wash yourself. Sure, for a day it'll wash yourself, but then a day later you're back doing the same old thing. It's only with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ on the third day. That's what makes Jesus so special. And you see it all all coming together here, all coming together. And so on verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Yeah, I guess they did tremble. Can you imagine what that had to be like? Then Moses, just looking at Mount Sinai and see it now covered in dense smoke and thunder and lightning uh, and knowing that the God of the universe, the very God that parted the Red Sea, that cared for you, that took you out of Egypt, is now in residence on that mountain. Mount Sinai, verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew loud and louder. Someday I hope the Lord gives me the grace to stand and take a look at Mount Sinai. I mean, really, to sit there and stand and look and see where all of this took place. The very essence where God touched earth to see this. Um, and so you see all of this coming together. And, and, uh, and verse 23, 
God, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And so God tells him in verse 24, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. And so what you see here now, if you turn to uh, chapter 20, verse 19, verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. I presume so. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you uh, to keep you from sinning. The people remained uh, at a distance. And so what you're seeing here is that the people required a mediator. They required someone to go and speak to God for them. They wanted Moses to go. They were fearful for themselves. They couldn't go and face God. We need a mediator. And this is the third day God is endeavoring to show them that he wants to speak to them. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. How do you like that passage telling you through the Holy Spirit precisely what was going on here uh, on the mountain? Verse 22. But this is the third day. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, because of Jesus, to Jesus, the mediator, please underline that, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, now you see it coming together. Now you see it coming together through the Holy Spirit, through the new covenant. Jesus is the mediator. Moses was, in some sense, a foretelling of what Jesus would be. Moses would be an earthly mediator. But Jesus would replace Moses as the mediator for all time. For all time. For all purposes. For eternity. And so now you have Jesus Christ, Son of God, born and raised from the dead on the third day. 
Just as God indicated that on the third day God would come. God would come and speak face to face. No, no, we can't. We can't do it. You can't do it. Well, then I'll give you a mediator who you can do. I'll give you one who you can do. I'll give you Jesus Christ who will die on the cross. That's the mediator I'll give you. Now you, you can see me through Jesus. Now you can talk to Jesus through me. Now you can see God through Jesus and see me through Jesus Christ. It all coming together. What a powerful picture this is of what Jesus is and how the word, how significant the word is. Do you see how there's one Bible? Do you see how there's one Bible? All the people that have told you for years, well, the Old Testament, you know, it's a bunch of old stories. Yeah, it's interesting. You get to study Bible stories when you were a kid. These are no stories. I'm giving you deep theological passages that tie the entire scripture together. Now you understand what Jesus is telling them on the third day. This is what's going on on the road to Emmaus. All of this coming to bear. And I'm sure these disciples are going, Oh my, oh, I can't believe what you're telling me. Oh my heart. That's why at night when Jesus said, Well, let's take care. Have a good day. No, don't leave. Don't leave. Why? Our hearts burned when you were with us. I'm hearing the eternal truths. It all comes together now. Now my faith comes together. And don't you feel that when you hear this? Don't you feel like God is speaking to your heart? That now you understand exactly what God has given you. He's given you a Bible that tells the truth, is inerrant in every way, goes back 1,500, 1,800 years, foretells that Jesus is going to come, and on the third day, God will defeat death. What a tremendous lesson this is. A world is lost that has no idea. You know, you talk to people who are atheists. They're clueless. They're clueless. They don't have an idea of what's involved. That's why I told you, you need to keep, keep these notes and go through them and, and understand them. Look also at John chapter 15. Someday we'll have better air conditioning. <laughs> John chapter 15. Now, Jesus, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. There it is. There it is. The word of God through Jesus Christ has purified you and cleansed you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. To understand this. To understand that we are part of and privy to all these uh, promises that God has made to us. And so, as we see this passage, that the people were to wash their clothes and understand that it wasn't merely the washing of the clothes, but that it was also, it was also that they were to repent and effectively wash their inside, wash their spirits, repent of who, of who they were, 
and you see this tremendous passage, and you understand the importance of consecration. God wants to be part of us, but in order for God to be part of us, we have to consecrate ourselves. You want God to bless you? You want to be part of all the promises? Well, then you have to consecrate yourself. Have you done that? Have you said to God, Lord, I give my all to you. I pledge myself to you, Lord. Help me, Lord. I have faith in everything that you are. Be with me, God. Lift me up. And when you do that, as God said to the Jewish people, then I will be with you. I will be with you. What a powerful passage that is. As God is telling them for the first time who he is. Here he, this is who he is. You saw what happened in Egypt. You saw all the plagues. You saw all the disease. I will protect you if you consecrate yourself. Uh, if you are a part of what, we, of what I expect you to be. I expect you to be a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. And so here's a question I have for you now. Here we are in the new covenant. Here we are with the greater mediator. Here we are with Jesus Christ, the greatest mediator of all. And now the question I have for you is this. Just as God asked the Hebrew people in a less perfect situation to be a nation of priests, are we a nation of priests? Are we where God wants us to be? This is an important part of this lesson on the third day. And I am really struck by this in my own life. The question for me is this. Am I serving God to the degree that he expects me to serve him? Knowing what he said to the Jewish people out on the desert on the third day. And I would say to you that for most of us, the sad answer is no. We're not there. We're not there. We're not acting as a nation of priests. We're not acting as the messengers of God. We're not acting in a way to show God that we love him. And how do we show God that we love him? By taking the word and advancing the word to other people. For many of us, all we do is go to church. Now, that's good. It's good to go to church. It's good to get fed. But at some point in time, it's like playing football. You have to break the huddle. Sometimes you have to go to the line of scrimmage. It's not about huddling up and calling plays. It's not about having the coach keep sending in plays. Oh, these are good plays. Let's huddle up again. And some of us, that's all we do on Sunday. We keep huddling up. Oh, I want to go back there and huddle up some more. I love hearing that. Oh, I like to be entertained. The choir is great. Oh, man, I'm so blessed by the choir. And then we walk out. And the only thing that happens is six days go by. Until we come back. Oh, I can't wait to hear the choir again. And I love the choir. But you understand something? You can't get sucked into the fact that are you becoming a nation of priests? This is what God demands of us. And I hope now when you hear this, that your heart is touched. And you say to yourself, Lord, what do I have to do, Father? What do you expect of me? And look, I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. That's between you and God. Only you can speak to God and God speak to you about what his expectations are for you. God's expectations of me are different than God's expectations for you. Amen. Each of us has been given a set of talents, a set of gifts. Only you and God know that. But in some way, God is expecting you on the third day to become a nation of priests. And now we sit here and we study the failure of Israel. And what do we go? Oh, yeah, they're bad. 
Oh, they're bad. They're losers. Yeah, they're losers. How are we? How are we? How are we? We saw the living God walk. We saw the living God get off a cross. We know through the Holy Spirit that he got out of a grave and walked and lived. And hundreds of witnesses saw it. And so the question for us is, what is the expectation of you for, by God in terms of what he's delivered to you? Uh, and I would submit to you that this passage, the fact that God wanted to have a personal relationship, not just individually with Moses, but with an entire people, with an entire country, and the entire country dropped the ball. They dropped the ball. And so I would say to you now, this requires us to be in the spirit of prayer and expectancy and to ask God to search my heart. Lord, reveal reveal me to me, as was said in the sermon several weeks ago. Reveal me to me. Show me where my inadequacies are. Speak to my heart. Help me, Lord. Help me to humble myself. Help me to submit to your world. Help me to understand what you've given to me. And help me, God, to be able to be in a position when I see someone who's lost, that I can speak to them. Instead of going, I can't do that. I can't do that. I haven't studied the Bible enough. I haven't studied the Bible enough. Do you know Jesus? Has Jesus touched your heart? Are you saved? Then you know enough. You have to have to it, 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 ask God to give you the words that are needed in order to touch a lost world. And I'm going to tell you something. If you say, just as our brother Rad said, Lord, I'm going to pray that you put someone next to me on a plane that, that needs to hear about you, God will do that. God will honor that prayer. If you say, God, prepare me so that I can speak to a neighbor, God will give you the words. You don't have to practice. You don't have to rehearse. God will give you the words. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So this is a powerful lesson about God's expectations of a nation of priests, about a holy people who would come and spread the word, and you see what happens when they fail. And so what does God do? He moves on to the Gentiles. That's what God does. He doesn't tarry forever. He doesn't stay there and say, well, I'll keep waiting, and I'll keep waiting, and meanwhile you're not doing anything. And by the way, I'm not saying you're not saved. You can be saved perfectly well and know who Jesus is and yet not move forward on the eternal road of life to do what God wants you to do. You can basically get saved, put a folding chair down, sit there and go, that's it. I'm done. That's right. I got mine. I believe in Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Give me a hymn book I want to sing. And then I don't do anything else that God wants me to do. You understand? I hope you're convicted. Because I have been convicted uh, about what God's expectation is for me and to you. Let's close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words. Lord, I thank you for the third day. Lord, we are overwhelmed with what's going on here. Here it is, 12, 1300 years before Jesus would be born, and you're demonstrating that something incredible was going to take place on the third day. And about what it would be to be a mediator, and how Moses would be an imperfect mediator, but there would be one day 
a perfect mediator. Lord, I thank you so much for what you have given us in Jesus. And Lord, we are all today convicted about what it means to be a nation of priests. What it means to be recipients of the promise of the third day. And so Lord, I ask you to touch our people. Strengthen them. Deliver them. Give them the courage as they consider these words this week, Lord. To get closer to you. And to get a better understanding and clarity of what you want from them. Individually, one-on-one. Bless them, protect them, bring them back safely. Bless the service to follow. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.